0: Well, good morning. You know, I think that Christmas means so much to different people in different ways. I know I am not a humongous. I'm sorry. The kids may be dismissed. I should have seen that when, noticed that when Leslie was walking away. I was like, Leslie, I just started. You can't leave yet. No, but I, th- I think that uh, Christmas means so much something Uh, different for each person. I know that I am not a humongous Christmas fan. I know that sounds rather odd. Um, I love the season. I love the meaning of the season. I hate all the other garbage that goes with it. I know uh, I got a feeling I'm probably not the only one that thinks that way. I know uh, family. Um, Mother died 21 years ago. Father lives out of state. Older brother passed away a few years back. So family and Christmas and me don't really get along all that great. Um, So it's definitely a trying time. So I I know that a lot of people just absolutely get into Christmas um, and all the festivities that go with it. Um, I just don't happen to be one of them. And whether that's right or wrong, I, I don't know if there's an answer to that. But I love the meaning of Christmas. I love what Christmas stands for. And as we've been preparing all month long and talking about out of Luke chapter 2, we're going to continue that today and talking about the actual Christmas story, the real meaning of the season, not the, the pomp and circumstances that go with it and the parades and the candies and all the, the Christmas parties and the ugly sweater contests and all this other stuff that seems to go with Christmas. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. And coincidentally, we are going to start off in the same uh, area. We finished reading the Advent at 20, and I will be starting at 21, which is funny how God works. But we're going to talk about waiting today. The title of the message is, What Are You Waiting For? And that could be a question, or it could be a statement. When we talk about wait, how many people here like to wait? Anybody like to wait for anything? Anything at all? Victoria likes to wait? <laughs> Nobody likes to wait. We don't like to wait whether it is at uh, a doctor's office. You know, we get in there, we make our appointment on time, and we get in the, the room at 10 o'clock, and the doctor comes in at 10.15. You know, there's been a study that says that we will wait six months of our lives in a red light. Now, if you think about that, what is an average red light? 30 to 45 seconds? Six months of our lives we're going to be waiting at that. See, we live in a society, and let's face it, that we don't like to wait. We live in a microwave society, which I've used that term before, But we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait on our email to load. We don't like to wait for the text to go. We don't like to wait for anything. That's why there's so much pre-made food anymore, because it's a whole lot easier to pop it in the microwave for a minute and a half and eat it, versus put it on the stove and spend 20 minutes cooking it. So we're going to talk about a couple people that were just waiting today. So again, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. And if you do not have your Bible, why not? Anyway... Verse 21 says that when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, the child being Christ, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanol of the tribe of Ashar. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the words that were spoken. We ask that uh, you would use... This message today, to speak to somebody, Lord, that you would be uh, an encourager today, Lord. We thank you for those that are here, Lord. We just lift up those that could not be here today for uh, illness reasons, Father. We just ask that you put your touch upon their bodies, Lord. We ask for a physical healing in the name of Jesus to each person that is afflicted this morning. Lord, I just ask you to uh, hide me behind the cross, Lord. Use me today to speak your word. In Christ's name, amen. Now, that's an awful... lot of scripture, but we're going to talk about each verse up there and and see if we can get a little bit of a scenario here of what's exactly going on. You see, when we talk about the, the Christmas story, Pastor last week talked about the manger and the swaddling clothes, and we are kind of following up on that. This is kind of, you know, page two, so to speak, of that story. And I think that this, when I was studying for this, Something that really struck me is I don't know if I have ever read this portion of it in context with Christmas. Because we always stop at the manger. We stop that, that the shepherds came and they offered their gifts and they left. When we stop there, we miss this portion of it, which I'm guilty of because I believe I've missed that. So, But we're going to start in 21. It says, on the eight days were completed, the circumcision of the child. His name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, verse 21, and that is in keeping up with the the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law tells us that on the eighth day that a male child needs to be circumcised, and that is straight from, from God's law. It also tells us that in verse 22 that when the days of purification according to the law of Moses were complete, they had brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, him being Christ. See, the firstborn is presented to God one month after birth, it's kind of similar to a baby dedication that we do today when, you know, we come up and then we, you know, a lot of places will, um, you know, put holy water on the baby, and they'll pray over the baby, and they'll get the congregation to, in agreement, stand up that we're going to raise this baby as a church. And that's kind of what happened here, that when they do the baby dedication, and they do a ceremony, it's, called, it's like a buying back ceremony or, or redeeming the child to God, and it basically says that we are going to raise this child up for God. Now, what really, really struck me as odd here was Mary knew that she was going to have the Christ child in her womb. She knew that she was going to give birth to the Christ child, yet she still was faithful in what she believed with God. She was still obeying the Mosaic law. She had every right to be pompous. She had every right to be egotistical and walk around strutting her her belly out there saying, I got the Christ child. But she didn't. She stayed humble and she took part in the Mosaic law. She was still faithful, even though she knew what was in store. She knew that she was going to have the child known as Jesus in her belly. But they were faithful. She didn't think she was any better than anybody else. And she didn't have her child wasn't better than anybody else at birth. Although we know that that story quickly changed. Let's go to verse 25. Excuse me, let's go to 24 and let's talk about the sacrifice. And offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Now something in this also, they talk about the sacrifice being Doves or pigeons. Sacrifice in biblical times was generally a lamb. And this is indication that they, too, that Mary and Joseph did not have a whole lot of money. They were kind of on the, uh, we'll call it the, you know, the the blue-collar scale when it came to the financial side. Because in doing my studies, it states that the offering that most people would give to the Lord for their child would be a lamb. So, be and tell that this was something that, that they gave something smaller, less costly than a lamb. And verse 25 tells us, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And a man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about this man. I couldn't find much of anything in in doing my homework on this, trying to find out what I could about Simeon. Where did he come from? Where did he grow up? What did he believe? Could not find any of that. But what I did know that we find out that he was living in Jerusalem, which was the political and religious center of Israel at the time, and it, it still is today. Simeon was where all the action took place. How many passages of scripture in the Bible talk about Jerusalem? So he was right in that center city of where the stuff was going on. But more important, we learned that his name was Simeon. The name Simeon means God has heard. And we do know that God hears our prayers. And we're going to hear a little bit today about, about how God heard Simeon. God did hear Simeon's prayer But the physical characteristics I find astounding of what they introduced him at. It said he was righteous. Righteous. Don't we all strive to be righteous? He was devout. Devout and righteous kind of go hand in hand. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. There's multiple references in Scripture about the Holy Spirit being upon somebody. And that was being filled, being indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody that's led a righteous and a devout life and has the Holy Spirit on them. You can see it. You can see something different in that person that has the Holy Spirit upon them. Would you agree with that? And you can also see when somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit upon them. And when you have the Holy Spirit upon them... You carry yourself in a different light. You carry yourself in a different way. And I think that this man, the reason that we don't know a whole lot about him, is because God didn't want us to know much about him outside of the fact that he was righteous, he was devout, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before He had seen the Lord's Christ. One thing that I was really curious on was how long had he been waiting when the Holy Spirit told him, you are going to see the Christ child before you die. How long had he been waiting? Scripture doesn't tell us that either. And I think that the reason, again, That we don't know that is because when we know how long somebody's been waiting, we kind of qualify things. You know, if I know I'm going to have to wait 45 minutes to to get dinner when I go out after church today, what am I going to do? I'm either going to drag my feet or I'm going to hurry up to get there to try to change that time frame. But if somebody like this was told by the Holy Spirit that you are going to see the Christ child before you die... Isn't there a lot of hope within the man that today might be the day I see Jesus? Tomorrow may be the day I see Jesus. And at one point, if he continues with that line of thinking, he is going to see the Christ child. Because God made that promise to him. That we know that God's promises are true. You See, it says here that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The consolation of Israel is or the comforter of Israel. And we know that comforter is a word for whom? Amen. The comforter. We all seek comfort in things, don't we? You know, it strikes me that that desire for comfort transcends from back in Simeon's day to today. You know, we all want to be comfort when, when we're just having a horrible day. Is there anything more com- comforting than a big hug from your spouse or a friend or somebody? You know, we see comfort food on the food channel all the time. We see all sorts of things that reveal, with, uh, talk about comfort. But comfort goes back in biblical days. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel. See, we all struggle with something, whether it's loneliness, whether it's emptiness, whether it's insecurity whether it's desperation, and in fact, Christmas is the number one time where people get despondent and get hurt and get sad and lonely, and suicide rate at the Christmas time is just astronomical because people have needs. They have things that they need like comfort. They need people to understand why I don't really like Christmas a whole lot. If, if you come up to me and ask me, you know, Todd... Do you like Christmas? No, I don't. Well, aren't you a Christian? Well, yes, I am, but I don't like Christmas. And if I go into that line of thinking without explaining myself, I look like the biggest Scrooge you've ever seen. But when I explain the reason that I don't like Christmas, the reason that that, you know, had a lot of family heartache and a lot of death in my family. And growing up, I have these memories of what Christmas was as a kid. And I remember waiting every Christmas morning. I would sneak downstairs and I would look in the middle of the night and see what was down there. It's like, oh, this is great. I go back upstairs and not be able to sleep. And then you just listen down the stairs until you hear something down there that lets you know that somebody's moving. And then you go flying down the steps. See, those are the memories that I personally have of Christmas in the family structure. But it's hard to explain that to people that have a close knit family, that have, you know, 19 kids like the Duggars, and they, you know, they're all there and everybody's happy. And there's never anything wrong, and it's hard to explain that to people. So one thing that I would I would just encourage during this this holiday season, if you are one of those bubbly people that love Christmas and all of its stance, its pomp and circumstances, if you come across somebody that doesn't like Christmas all that much. Understand why they don't like it before you sit there and you shove a wreath down their throat and say, You've got to love Christmas. What's wrong with you? Try to understand that just a little. And I'm not up here by any stretch of the imagination looking for pity for me. That's, that's not my purpose. But there's a lot of people out there that are actually hurting around Christmas time because of loss, because they're grieving over something. And it does not necessarily transcend into a happy time for them. But when we talk about Simeon, he waited. And waited. Sometimes that's what God, God calls us to do. He calls us to wait. It's not a glamorous task, waiting. It's not one that gets anybody a whole lot of attention. Hey, what do you do? Oh, I wait. No. You wait for what? I just wait. It's, nobody cares about what you're waiting for. But sometimes all that God wants us to do is wait on Him. In fact, I think that's part of every Christian's maturing process. It's a period of waiting. It's a period of time that we feel like we've been put on the back burner or maybe the forgotten stage where we just know that that God has called us to something. But I don't know what. God has called us to do something, but He hasn't opened that door of opportunity for us yet. So we wait. But it doesn't seem like anything's happening in that direction. So what do we do? Mankind says, you know what? If that door's not open, I am going to kick it open. Because I know what God has in store for me. And when we work in our timing versus God's timing, that's when we get a problem. You see, we talk about timing, but when you uh, have an automobile engine, That each cylinder in an automobile engine has to run at its own time. It has to fire at the precise time to make everything work properly. And if you get all eight cylinders firing when they want to, the engine's not going to run. That's kind of like the process that we go through. When we try to do things on our time and not God's time, that's when things get messed up. That's when we put our needs in front of what God needs. Let's face it, waiting is terrible. I hate to wait, but it is necessary. All all too often, if we wait and step out and do what we want versus what God wants, we're going to fall flat on our face. But you know what? These times of waiting can be incredibly fruitful. If we apply that waiting time into growing in our knowledge of the Lord, if we take that time where we're, we're down and we're in between jobs, so to speak, for the Lord... If we take that time and we study His Word and we get on our face before the Lord and we talk with Him and we ask Him, what do you want from me? When we grow in the Lord, let's use that time wisely. Let's use that time that we're waiting to, to build up somebody, to serve somebody, to witness to somebody, to help a neighbor. We have that time that we're down where we think we've got to be go, go, go. But sometimes God wants us to wait, and I do believe that sometimes God will use some drastic circumstances to get our attention to wait. Quick story about um, waiting is, in God getting our attention, I had a pastor friend that was scheduled to go to, to uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, back a few years back, and uh, it was actually my old pastor, and... Uh, I believe that in talking with her, she made mention that that she just kept getting feelings that she wasn't supposed to go. But the flesh, the the physical body wanted to go. I want to go with my team. I want to go. I want to go. And uh, about two weeks before the trip started, she had a heart attack. Now, the heart attack on the surface sounds like that was just an absolute horrible thing. But I truly believe that that heart attack is what kept her from going to Haiti And you remember the earthquakes a few years back in Haiti that just decimated the country? The team that was there, which I have friends that were actually in that, um, the team that was there, their building was one of the ones that imploded and fell to the ground. And I truly believe that the pastor didn't want to wait on the Lord. She kept wanting to do it her way. The Lord said, I'll get your attention one way. He made it so she couldn't go. And I truly believe that story saved her life because she wanted to step out in faith or step out in flesh, not in faith. Because the faithful end of it would have felt that prompting from God saying, no, I don't think you should go. Instead, God got her attention one way or the other. But Jeremiah 29 tells us that, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, we go through this waiting period where we don't know what's going on. We go through this waiting period in anticipation of what God's going to do for us. But we know here in Jeremiah, he tells us, I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you a future. But we don't like to wait. When we wait on the Lord, He opens doors of opportunity for us. And when we don't wait on Him, I believe those doors do get closed. But let's get back to our text. Talking about Simeon here, and we're going to start reading again in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prompted him to go to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, he took him up in his arms. Now, Simeon, again, is not mentioned a whole lot in Scripture. I assume that he was somebody of some sort of prominence there because I can't imagine a complete stranger walking in there and grabbing your newborn baby without getting punched in the head. So I assume that Simeon was somebody that they knew, that somebody of great status. We know he was righteous and devout. So it said he picked him up in his arms and he blessed God and said. Now, a couple of things that strike me as is, is pretty amazing there is anybody that's ever went over to a newborn baby... When you walk over to somebody's house and you see the baby and you walk over the baby and you pick him up, do you thank God for that baby or do you make baby faces at the baby and tell the parents how beautiful the child is? What strikes me as odd here is he blesses God first. That tells you where his heart's at. That tells you where, where his love at, his head love for God first over anything else. Verse 29 says, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Verse 29, it says, according to your word, God kept his promise. Simeon spoke to God. He thanked him. He says, thank you, Lord, for letting me see this child that you promised I would see before I died. See, scripture doesn't tell us how old he was, but I'm reading in this that he was elderly and he was time to go. But he was waiting on God's promise. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes. This is Simeon. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That salvation was the Christ child. It is the Christ. When he looked down at this baby, he says, Lord, I see your salvation now. That's encouraging there. Even as a little child, Simeon knew What the plans were for him. Verse 31. Which you have prepared before the face of all people. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now I happen to believe that verse 31 and 32 may be the most important passages in this whole story. If you read that and you say, like, what, what? Why? How does that is that any more special than than the birth of the child? Well, listen to it. Let's read it in context. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the story of your people. Most folks thought that the coming Messiah was going to be for the Jew only. This passage of Scripture tells us all people, a light to bring revelation or revealing facts to the Gentiles, which is the non-Jew and the glory of your people, Israel. Christ came for all nations. Christ came for all people. The Jewish folks thought that he was coming just for them. And that's what I love about this. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people a light, Christ is a light, to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That's so important because Christ is not a Jewish God. He is an all-people God. And He, and He alone, can offer salvation to us. But all we have to do is accept that verse 33 says that Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Marvel meaning astonished or surprised. If they were astonished at what Simeon was telling them about their child, then my guess is they didn't know exactly what they had there. We know back in in Luke 1 when when the angel Gabriel tells them, It says that you will will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Anywhere in there say that he's going to be the Savior of the world? We know that now, but at the time, a roughly 13-year-old young lady that is pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit... Your son's going to be great. Okay, but what does that mean? What, what does great mean? And when, it tells us here when, they, when he was astonished at what they were speaking. That tells me that they were not aware of the things to come. See, Simeon prophesied to Mary and Joseph. Verse 34 says, Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Simeon prophesied that he was destined for many to fall because of him, and many to rise up because of him. Scripture tells us in a couple spots. First of all, it's in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. It says, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many among them shall stumble they shall fall and be broken be snared and taken Isaiah foretold this conversation that there's going to be people that are going to stumble over Jesus 1 Peter and 9 says a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed listen to verse 9. This really ties it up. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Called us out of darkness. The darkness that we used to live in prior to coming to know Jesus Christ. Into his marvelous light. Now, what I find awesome about darkness and light is what is darkness? Can anybody describe darkness to me? Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness isn't something that that you do, you don't turn on darkness, you turn off the lights. So, when you have darkness in your life, that means that the light isn't shining in your life. The light of Christ. So when we've called out of darkness into his marvelous light, Jesus is drawing us to him saying, come on, come to me. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's calling us out of this darkness. Some will fall because the cost of following Jesus may be a little too steep for them. Some will rise because of the following of Jesus Christ. When we follow Christ, it's kind of an all-in situation. We cannot part-time follow Christ. We cannot on a part-time basis walk with Him. Because Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that I wish that you were hot or cold. But since you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. He's telling us there that he doesn't want you to be warm for the cause of Christ. Anybody like warm coffee? No. You like hot coffee? You like cold coffee. But nobody likes warm coffee. It's the same analogy. Christ says, I would rather you completely ignore me or completely love me, but don't play with me. That's what he's saying here. So we need to remember that when we come to the Christmas season – that Christ was born so we could live in His light and we could shut the door on that darkness. Some will fall and some will rise again. But uh, the first time that, that Mary heard somebody prophesy over her about her child was back in the, uh, the first book of Luke, verses 42 through 45. In Elizabeth, Prophesied over her and said that she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, woman, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. That was confirmation of the conversation that Mary had with the Holy Spirit. If we go to verse 35, imagine having somebody come over to your house telling you great things that your child is going to do and the great things that people are going to say about your child. But that person's also going to say something like this in verse 35 A sword will pierce through your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see, Simeon, when he was still talking and prophesying over it, he was talking about the baby. But he was also telling Mary here that your heart is going to be broken. What was he talking about? He was talking about the crucifixion. Simeon knew that the Christ child came to die for each one of us. When he comes to Simeon talking to the family... He didn't sugarcoat anything. He said, what in 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Now picture just a happy, everybody loving on the baby. And then somebody is saying, you know what? You're going to have a sword stuck right through you. And that wasn't in the literal sense. It was a heartbreaking experience based on Christ's crucifixion. The pain that she had to see. You see, Simeon wasn't just talking about the child. He was talking about Mary. Your heart's going to be broken for what has to happen. Kind of brought a little bit of a downer, don't you think? But that's what being righteous and devout and full of the Holy Spirit is. That you listen to the Holy Spirit to tell somebody something that they may not want to hear. When you're obedient to God, we follow those things. We can tell anybody anything in love. And we need to do it with love. Because had he come across real flippant on there, I don't think it would have been very well received. So when we talk about things that, that we believe that God is a message that God has given us to tell somebody, we definitely need to proclaim that in love. Verse thirty-six. We have another visitor that showed up. There was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And the woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So, what do we know about Anna? Not a whole lot about Anna either. We know that she was a prophetess, we know that she was elderly. Uh, We don't know exactly how old she was. Certain uh, commentators believe she was between 103 and 113 years old. She was a widow of 84 years. And she never left the temple. She told people about Jesus. She served God through her prayers and through her time of fasting. She told people of the redeeming power of the Christ child the redeeming power the forgiveness that can be found in the Christ child even as a baby she seen that she knew that she was a prophetess the lord obviously spoke to her about that in verse 38 in coming in that instant she gave thanks to the lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption redemption forgiveness even as a baby 30 days old, Anna knew that Christ was going to forgive people. So we know that both of these godly people, they were seeking something different from the Messiah. We know that Simeon was looking for the comforter. Verse 25 tells us that. And we know that Anna was searching for the Redeemer. She was telling people of the redeeming power of Christ in verse 38. See, nothing has really changed from that time till now? We still seek Jesus for comfort. We still seek Jesus for forgiveness. Nothing has really changed. So, here's the question that if we know that Simeon was faithful, and we know that Anna was faithful, and they both had been waiting for the birth of the Christ child, here's my question. What are you waiting for This Christmas season. Are you waiting for a breakthrough in your lives? Are you waiting for a miraculous healing? Are you waiting for God to speak to you to take that next step in your walk? What are you waiting for this Christmas season? And if you're not waiting for anything, I would just ask you to ask God, what would you have me do? Because if we're not waiting for anything, we're probably... Not operate under God's timing. Because I do believe that God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, and wait. And we get a lot of waits. And nobody likes it. So this Christmas season, I would just encourage each one of us to hang on to the promises of God. To spend time with Him. To get to know Him better. To grow in His Word. Are we too caught up in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season? full of stress, full of turmoil, full of parties, full of rude people. Are we too caught up in that? And has the Christmas story become stale because we focus on the wrong presence? We focus on man's presence and we don't focus on his presence. We can focus on his presence today and we have that opportunity each moment of our life to focus on God's presence, not our presence. Let me read you a little something here, and we're going to close with this. Many years ago, there was a very wealthy man who shared a passion for art with his son. They had priceless works by Picasso and Van Gogh, adorning the walls of their family estate. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation. And the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram. His son had died. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season had vanished with the death of his son. On Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed old man. As he walked through the door, the masterpieces of art on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand who said, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. The soldier mentioned that he was an artist and then gave the old man the package. The paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the man's son. Though the world would never consider it, The work of a genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man hung the portrait over the fireplace. Pushing aside millions of dollars' worth of art, his task completed. The old man sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. The painting of his son became his most prized possession. Far eclipsing any interest in the pieces of art, For which museums around the world clamored the following spring the old man died the art world waited with anticipation for the upcoming auction according to the will of the old man all the artwork would be auctioned on christmas day the day he received the greatest gift the day soon arrived and art collectors from around the world gathered to pin on some of the world's most spectacular paintings dreams would be fulfilled that day The auction began with a painting that was not on anyone's museum list. It was a painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid, but the room was silent. Who will open the bidding with $100? No one spoke. Finally, someone said, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's move on to the good stuff. The auctioneer responded, no, we have to sell this one first. Now. Who will take the son? Finally, a neighbor of the old man offered $10. So that's all I have. I knew the boy, so I'd kind of like to have it. The auctioneer said, going once, going twice, sold. the gavel fell. Cheers filled the room and someone explained, now we can bid on the real treasures. The auctioneer looked at the room filled with people and announced that the auction was over. Everyone was stunned. Someone spoke up and said, What do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a painting of someone's son. There are millions of dollars worth of art here. What's going on? The auctioneer replied, It's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? The message is the same this Christmas. Because of the Father's love, whoever takes the Son takes it all. So my question this morning, will you take the Son this Christmas season to be your Savior? If you are struggling with your walk with the Lord, I can't think of any better time than Christmas time to rededicate yourself to the Lord. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come up, and I'm going to close in prayer. But these altars are open. And if the Lord is tugging on your heart to make that commitment to follow Him more and more, if the Lord is tugging on your heart to make that initial response to Him, I just implore you today, don't leave this sanctuary without knowing. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Father, we praise you this morning. Lord, we ask you in Christ's name to move in here this morning. Lord, we know that Christmas time can be such a difficult time for so many, but Father, we just offer up the opportunity that we have here today, Lord, to focus on you and you alone. Lord, those that may not know you today, I ask in Jesus' name that you would just convict them right now to make that commitment to you. And, Father, those that are struggling with their walk in you, Lord, we know that your altars are always open. And we know that you are a faithful and forgiving God. And you would love to welcome us back in the family as you did the prodigal. So, Father, we just praise you today, Lord, as we close this service this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. But most of all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.